Coast Biz is proudly presented by IJG. IJG, making your money work for you. And welcome to Ghost Biz with the finance ghost. Uh, he gets to go places most other people can't, so he knows what's going on. Mostly he just reads sense and, and makes sense of it. Ghost, welcome to the show. Let's start out with Spa. It's uh, Retail has been a, a tough old ride for a lot of retailers. It's been, it seems like a four-lane highway for, for the ShopRite Checkers group, but for everyone else, it's been a tough couple of years since COVID. Spa's said farewell to the dividend, and uh, for any share, when you start when you stop paying dividends, that is a, a huge sign of either trouble in the balance sheet or trouble lurking. Where did they go to from here? Yeah, putting the end in dividend, unfortunately, it's gone, and I don't know when it's going to come back. And it's been mainly own goals, eh, really. It's a, it's been a terrible year for Spa, and you have to remember that the listed group is actually a wholesaler, not a retailer. Your local Spa, not actually sure if you have Spa's in Namibia, but we certainly have loads of them in South Africa, and chances are that it's owned by a franchisee, basically. So the listed company actually supplies them with products, they collect royalties, but spa franchisees are not forced to buy from the mothership. So when spa made an absolute hash of the SAP implementation in the KZN region, franchisees source products elsewhere, and spa suffered eye-watering losses in turnover and profits because of that system's disaster. Then you add in negative volumes growth in South Africa, ongoing difficulties in Poland, even a drop in turnover in Switzerland, because get this, the Swiss actually crossed the border to go buy food. It is cheaper to leave Switzerland, <laughs> go buy food in another country, and then bring it back. So next time you're feeling bad about living in you know, Namibia or South Africa or this end of the world, at least we don't have to drive across the border just to afford food. So indeed, the dividend is gone. And, and what is Spa doing about it? Well, they are trying to sell their business in Poland. Easier said than done. And of course, we have to hope there will be no more ridiculous own goals like we saw with SAP. But at the end of the day, they are coming up against ShopRite and they just cannot afford to get anything wrong. ShopRite is so strong that any more own goals from Spa and it's going to be another terrible year. Um, let's talk about two smaller shares that uh, don't get a, a lot of light of day, Capital Appreciation and the PBT Group. Tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, absolutely. So PBT Group is a little bit close to my heart. They kind of launched my career as a ghost. I wrote something about them on Twitter. It was picked up by the Financial Mail, and, and that was really the start for me of writing for proper publications and everything I do today. Uh, it's very much an IT management consultancy, like a miniature Accenture. Uh, they sell time, bluntly, and they do it into really cool stuff like big data consulting and all that kind of thing. Capital appreciation, they build software, they have a payments business. But the two of them together are kind of seen as your tech small caps on the JC, the interesting tech small caps. And in both cases, revenue has kind of pushed through in the past couple of years, but profit growth has stalled. And the share price in both cases has not had a great year. So PBT is down 26%, capital appreciation 20%. Over five years, it's very different. PBT up 460%, amazing. Capital appreciation up 40%. So it's a very good example of how a bit of a growth story can have a slow year, get punished accordingly, and that's a nice opportunity to kind of dig into those shares and go and see why it has happened. So, for example, in the case of PBT Group, they're going to sell off their loss-making Australian business. At Capital Appreciation, they staffed up the software side of the business, but then the revenue contract that they were staffing up for was delayed. So when it eventually came through, everything was fine, but there were a couple of not-so-happy months. So in both cases, reasons to believe things can get better. And I think at some point it's worth looking at them, although I do think PBT has perhaps run a little bit too hard. That chart is looking particularly dicey, actually. But just good examples of the kind of tech companies you can buy on the JSE. 
from uh, perhaps smaller companies to one that uh, all of us consume on a daily basis, and these are the products of Tiger Brands. Uh, we've seen revenue increase by 10% with uh, price inflation at 11 so, uh, so not a bad performance from them, but there's, uh, it's not all good news for Tiger Brands. No, it means that volumes are down a little bit. So Tiger Brands kind of sits right at the heart of the price elasticity debate. So that literally just means, you know, what sort of pricing increases can consumers stomach before the volume drop-off becomes too much to bear for the company putting up the prices? So, you know, at first blush, it sounds like Tiger Brands got good pricing power here. Pricing was up 11%, but volumes only fell 2%. But then you look closer and you realize that even though prices went up by that amount, Tiger Brands still had to swallow a lot of cost pressure because gross margin fell from 30.3% to 27.7%. So it really is tough for the company. They have a lot of work to do on their margins to the extent that they can. They also had a very big jump in finance costs, not least of all because they went into the huge share buyback, which I thought was an interesting move. So headline earnings per share is only up 2%, even though revenue was up 10 the dividend is 3% higher. They are very much playing defense right now, but they do have a new CEO in there in the form of Chart Kruger. And uh, he's known as a turnaround specialist. And he's also just bought some shares in his own name, quite a big chunk as well. So let's see if they can get the margins right. It is a very tough consumer environment for Tiger Brands. And of course, they are up against their own customers because retailers love private label. There's nothing ShopRite wants you to do more than buy the checkers, you know, household beans rather than coup. It's not easy. They did, um, or however, contribute to the lexicon of business jargon uh, with the term snackification. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. No, I did laugh at that. That's a classic corporate speak, right? The art of, I'm not sure, eating biscuits perhaps. <laughs> so wh- what? why are they defensive? Let's perhaps just uh, try and get an understanding if you've got any insights into a, a group that big. Uh, surely in tough times, the big groups are able to ride it out. Um, and we see, you know, we've seen a lot of smaller companies really struggle to to recover from COVID. Uh, why aren't these bigger groups taking advantage of of those spaces in the market? Look, I think the problem is that a lot of these food brands are actually not as valuable as people want to believe they are. I mean, bluntly, if you are managing a tight household budget and you are buying commodities like baked beans, do you really need to spend that extra few bucks on coup when you can go and buy the private label version for five rand or four rand less? You know, on bread they're pretty replaceable, right? Like a lot of the Tiger Brands products have quite easy substitutes, which are sometimes cheaper. And so that I think is where it becomes quite hard. You know, then it it really is about which brands are so strong that people are willing to pay more for what they actually want. And that's why they like snackification. I'll now adopt their term because at the end of the day, just think about your own shopping. Chances are quite good that on your more sort of staple things, you're willing to save a bit of money. You want the cheapest one on the shelf. But when it's time for the treats aisle, you know, that lacquer thing you have with your coffee or whatever the case may be, then it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to have these calories, I'm going to damn well make sure they're worth it. So, you know, that's why I like a business like PepsiCo, for example, which has something like Doritos in it, because people will pay up for that. You know, they won't necessarily buy the private label alternative to, you know, my favorite is Blue Doritos, because there isn't really a private label alternative. But you can go and buy bread that tastes exactly the same as one of the other products or beans or, you know, many, many, many other examples. So that's why they're identifying the right categories to play in. And I think that's the right move for them. And we'll see how it plays out. And also indicative of a trend we see in many other sectors when times get tough, people trading down. We see it in the car yep. sector. We see it in the clothing sector. And uh, and now perhaps indicative in the food sector, which is probably the hardest to trade down in just from a, a typical consumer's perspective. It, it indicates 
cash is really drying up for the average household. Absolutely. Fuel prices, interest rates, all of these things play a significant role. All right. Let's talk about NAMPAC. Uh, we've, uh, you've already said Australian loss-making units once in this particular feature. I think you've said it in every other feature we've had. Uh, we'd have a, a long stack of companies that have uh, failed in Australia and in the UK, uh, and equally in Africa, where uh, uh, it often seems Forex is our big issue with uh, much more unstable trading and much more unstable currencies, uh, often comes back to bite South African-based companies badly, and, and NAMPAC seems to be in that situation. Yeah, so the problem you've got is they operate in countries like Nigeria, but then they either have dollar-based input costs because they're importing stuff, or in the case of MTN, they're rolling out CapEx into towers in dollar-based contracts. You know, there always seems to be something dollar-related. Now, it doesn't help you if you're paying in dollars and you're earning in Naira and the Naira falls apart. You know, just use the RAND as an example. Imagine if all your expenses were in dollars this year, but your income was in RAND. <laughs> That's not a great place to be. So the other issue is that for a group like NAMPAC, where they have too much debt at head office, you have to be able to pull that money out of the country, whatever profits you can, to actually go service the debt back at the mothership. If you can't get your hands on proper Forex and you have to go and do this like parallel market rate, as they call it, not only are you buying, you know, again, I'll use the example of rands, if you'll forgive it. You know, I can buy dollars at 18 rand 60, but if I can't get my hands on those dollars and I'm desperate, maybe I need to buy them for 20 rand or 21 rand because that's all I can get. So this is the double whammy effect in Africa. You know, they're earning in the wrong currency and then they need to get the money out and pay up even more. And for NAMPAC, it's been a disaster. I mean, it nearly sank the company. They had to do a 1 billion rand rights issue. They somehow managed to spend 335 million rand on debt restructuring advisory costs. So just let that sink in and another 40 million bucks on the actual rights issue costs as well. So nearly 40% of the money they raised is already gone just on advisors, which is incredible actually. And unfortunately, the group is still losing money. So there's every chance the balance sheet gets into trouble again. And that's before you even look at stuff like finance costs, you know, even after the Forex uh, operating profits are not high. And then you take into account the cost of debt and it's just, yeah, it's huge. It, it's, a, it's a serious problem. I have my serious concerns about uh, NAMPAC. All right. And just lastly, we've, uh, since the advent of the, of the rate, the Real Estate Investment Trust, uh, we've seen uh, a whole bunch of interesting options come up for, for local investors on the JSC. Um, and many of them wandered off into, into Europe. Uh, certainly Eastern Europe was a favored destination for many of these funds where there was still a little bit of buying power. Um, so let's let's take a look at that. Uh, how are South African malls stacking up against the European counterparts? Yeah, absolutely. So Europe is not the silver bullet of goodness, you know, despite what we all like to think down here and when we get a bit bearish about where we live. Uh, the reality is that there are areas in Europe that have been tough. There are types of properties that have been tough. But I will say this, from what I've been reading in recent property updates, a lot of the retail malls in Europe are doing quite nicely now. Um, especially pockets of like Eastern Europe, for example, but also London's West End. You know, there are pockets that are doing really, really nicely. So for all the talk of struggles in the Eurozone, footfall and tenant turnover actually looks quite good. Whereas local property portfolio is very much a mixed bag. You know, even the good ones are not necessarily shooting the lights out right now. And that's just a function of broader South African consumer spending, right? And load shedding and all the other costs that our retailers are having to deal with and our property owners are having to deal with. It's not easy to be a landlord here. So the level of disclosure varies across funds, but I had a good look at High Prop's latest reporting and it has this excellent monthly trading density table. Now, what that means in English is literally sales per square meter for its tenants. 
So you want that to go higher because it means they're making more money for each uh, square meter they are renting. So long term, they'll be willing to pay more rent for it. And the table actually shows the year-on-year -year change in trading density for each month. So it kind of shows you the trend versus last year. So for example, it shows that in October, the year-on-year -year growth in trading density slowed down dramatically. Now, before you think to yourself, yeah, but in October, everyone's waiting for Black Friday. Remember, it was the same last October as well. This is a year-on-year -year measure. So it's completely comparable. And it's a concerning wobbly in the numbers for me ahead of the all-important festive season. Because the big question in the market is, will South Africans spend at the malls this Christmas? Or are they going to spend on travel, something else we've talked about on the show before, and have potentially smaller, cheaper presents under the tree? Uh, for retailers, I do fear that it's actually going to be the latter. And that a lot of people, even if I just look at my own peer groups, there's a lot of this kind of secret center, just buy one present for someone in the family, don't buy for everyone, but let's have a big lunch and actually let's go on holiday. That's not great for retailers. That's exactly what they don't want. All right, guys, we're going to have to leave it there. We'll chat again next week for our year-ending feature. But uh, thank you very much. That's the Finance Ghost giving us a wrap of uh, all the latest juicy bits from the JSC and abroad. Ghost Biz was proudly presented by IJG. IJG, making your money work for you. Visit IJG.net for more information.